James Golden, a.k.a. Bose Nerdly, on 77 WABC, the crown jewel of American radio. Welcome, my friends. It is Saturday morning. Welcome to the Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. If you want to be part of our program, and we have a busy program today. If you want to be part of it all, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-9222. Coming up on today's program, Derek is probably, is Derek around yet? Okay, Derek Hunter will be with us, I guess. <laughs> He's here most weeks. <laughs> Um, but also, Princess Di will be in touch with Princess Di. Today, America's Small Caffeinated Mom comes back on with us, and we are having a, a guest appearance also by Chip Reed, the veteran broadcaster with CBS, with NBC prior to that, who has a book, Battle Scars, which is an interesting premise. He has talked to, he was embedded in the Iraq War, and he talked to m Marines uh, 40 years after their service. So it is, of course, this is Veterans Day. This is November 11th. And the Veterans Day celebrations began, of course, initially as Armistice Day. The 11th day of the 11th month at the 11th hour. When fighting in World War One was officially ended. The racist Democrat president at the time, Woodrow Wilson, noted the monumental changes that the war had provoked. And yes, he was a horrid racist. And he, yes, of course, Democrat. And he presided over much of that war. Also, the failed League of Nations, which became the failed UN, yeah, uh, uh, Wilson had a lot to do with that as well. But after World War II, of course, Armistice Day became, and I can get the exact history on it, but Armistice became Veterans Day to honor all veterans, not just those that had served in World War I. And in many ways, many look at history, of course, World War I and World War II as being two parts of the same war because of the treatment that Germany had after World War I. Conditions in Germany were such that gave rise to Nazism, but that's a, that's a big history lesson. Derek is here. Hey, Derek. Hey, James. No, you're not wrong about that. The conditions were so punitive. And after World War One, with the Treaty of Versailles, that the uh, economy of Germany collapsed, and what really helped lead to it—I know you don't want to go into too much history—but the people, the war was at a stalemate for so long that the German people did not believe they were losing because they kind of weren't. Nobody was. Nobody was really winning. They were—it was trench warfare. They were stuck. But uh, it was more of a war of attrition than than aggression by that point. And Germany needed it, to, and they all needed it to end. But France in particular was so angry with Germany, understandably so, that they imposed all sorts of 
really severe economic punishments on Germany that uh, helped collapse their economy, lead to the hyperinflation and uh, that made German life miserable. That gave rise to Hitler because he was able to scapegoat just about everybody for Germany's woes without mentioning that it was Germany that was the aggressor in World War One, which directly led to them and uh, not really have to address them in a realistic way just to get people riled up and get support. So you're not wrong. Yeah, and, you know, I think that there is <laughs> there's a lesson there about how to act when you actually win a war, quote-unquote win, or you look at that in contrast with the approach that President Lincoln took at the end of American Civil War, Mm-hmm. Malice to not malice to none. He wanted to restore the country and put the war behind him, not to not to punish the South. You look at the way the re- the West responded at the end of World War II. They learned their lesson. Um, I can't really say that the Soviet Union tried to punish the uh, Eastern Bloc countries in the way that the West did Germany after World War One. They had different punishment in mind for them, so it's not really an apples-to-apples apples comparison there. But on the West, we changed. Well, there was no punishment towards Germany. They sort of folded, the, at least West Germany, into the West and made sure it did not collapse and made sure how France was close to embracing communism with it, were it not for the... Uh, Marshall Plan. And you know, one of the things that I've always wondered, just as sort of history trivia, General Patton, who was, of course, troublesome to Ike and Mm -hmm. who was still is still one of America's greatest field generals. But General Patton saw the moment. He saw the moment. He said, look, we're here now. (laughs) Russia is going to be a problem. While we're here, we need to deal with these commies, and we need, I'm just, of course, paraphrasing, we right. need not, to deal not, with not these. Not by much, so it's just pretty accurate. <laughs> yeah. We need to deal with these commies and take on Russia right now and just get this over with. And, of course, it was, uh, Eisenhower and the everyone was horrified. How dare you, General? And shortly after that, General Patton had uh, the accident. And was no longer <clears throat> on Earth. Well, no. Uh, soon and, after he was fired first, he was fired. Right, he was fired. So it but wasn't so, like he was waiting in the wings. He was right. He's look, we got everything here, and you know they are going. They're going to have war with them. I, I can't remember if the bomb had been dropped at that point or not. But uh, we we could have. We could have had. I mean, we would have lost a lot more people. A lot more people. But um, we would have avoided 50 years of Cold War. you got to sort of weigh one against the other. We managed to defeat the Soviet Union without really firing a direct shot. They had a lot of proxies firing lots of shots. So you have to kind of pick your poison. But no, George was correct. If impolitic and perhaps wrong about the method, he at least identified the problem. And that was the real problem. Yes, he did. And uh, the just curious note, I often wonder what would have happened. It would have been a great, maybe a great make-believe movie. What would have happened if we actually went to war with Russia after World War II? Uh, Derek, there is so many, 
I'd love to see that. And George and I once drunkenly reenacted and refought and changed the outcome of various battles of World War II about three o'clock in the morning, drunk off our asses in a Dunkin' Donuts with tearing up napkins, making the map. And this is what they should have done. And this is what should have happened here. And we could have finished this earlier. And so, yeah, this is right in my wheelhouse. I love this. There's a there's a <laughs> video game simulation for AI to make out there and somebody to make a fortune off of. Oh man, I didn't even think of it. That absolutely. What it's already been done. Well, I tell you, my nephew's telling me, TJ, it's already been done. Well, we can do it again. A, there's a modern warfare of World War II. It's different. You've got specific missions. I'm talking about a really involved one where you get to make all the decisions. You're not constrained by what happened and where battles took place. That, with AI, it's got to be close to being able to do. Yeah. All right, Derek, there are so many stories I want to ask you about. Have you followed this story that took place in Alabama where the mayor down there, this guy named Bubba Copeland, uh, committed suicide after he was outed? And, of course, in, the, uh, in, in all of the news stories, there's reference to the right-wing site that outed him. He was a, he was, he was a cross-dresser. Mm-hmm. And he was mayor. I think he was a transvestite in the old tradition of the word. When you're allowed to say transvestite, right? I don't know that he was. He was actually trans. It's so stupid how much we've bastardized the language. But I believe it was a a transvestite in the old fashioned way. Now this is the guy who had worked on a suicide prevention campaign um, before. Images of him dressed of, as a woman were exposed. Take. Yeah. Yeah. And he ended up dying, of course, of suicide after his secret persona, Brittany Blair Summerlin, was revealed to the world by right wing website eighteen nineteen, some group that I've never heard of. They just they uh posted a lot of posts about him using an alias on Instagram and Reddit as a transgender pervy uh curvy girl, photos of him wearing women's clothing and makeup, and apparently he was so despondent after he was outed publicly that he committed suicide. And I feel bad for the guy. I mean, I really do. And at the same time, this now, of course, the the critics, are you happy with this website? And so let me ask you a question. As a journalist of sorts, yourself as a journalist, what is the I'll right thing to do? With the qualifier of sorts. Of sorts. Of yeah, sorts. Sorry. No, you are a journalist. I don't want to be a journalist. No, I'm not a journalist. Don't even, don't even. How dare you? You're ugly. Okay. Right? You're like, that's the same thing. Go ahead and just punch one of my kids. <laughs> but, okay, so you're, you're sitting there at your right-wing publication, Mm-hmm. And somebody at your right-wing publication sees that the mayor, who is a pillar of the community, who has a certain image, has a very different image on social media. He's not. It's on social media. Do you report it? Do yeah. you, quote-unquote, out no, the guy? There's no question. There's no question. You can stop. Yes, of course. Here's a simple rule of thumb to live by. Don't do something you don't want the world to know. When I worked for Conrad Burns in the United States Senate, on day one, 
I was told, never put anything in your Senate email you don't want to see splashed across the front page of the Washington Post. They would not have hesitated. Burns was a conservative Republican. If I had, uh, if I were a transvestite running around drag queening everywhere and they found out about that because they got my email, they wouldn't have hesitated to put it out there. I don't see why you have to treat people with kid gloves. I don't believe for a second that this was what did it that this is why he did it. This might have been a straw on the camel's back, but it was you can't blame one particular straw on a camel's back. Nobody is well-adjusted and uh, leading a perfectly normal life, and then one thing sort of happens that is, you know, embarrassing. Let's just face it, embarrassing. It's 2023, for God's sakes, that you then go and kill yourself. I'll never believe that at all. There are other things at play here that aren't of interest to the media to find out. I'll take that to my grave. And just like the bullying, they bullied the kid. And so he went and did this horrible thing. Like, I think there's probably more to that than that. I did, there's more to it than this. But this guy did it. That woman in Virginia who was having sex online with her husband and uh, saying, we'll do this if you give us more money. And basically prostitution by proxy. And like, oh, they've invaded my privacy. You put it out there online. Don't put things out there that you don't want the world to know. Now, if they'd put cameras in this guy's bedroom and flew over his privacy fence with drones to catch him doing a beauty show in his backyard in the privacy of his own home or whatever, I'd have a problem with it. But he put this out there for the world to see but he only wanted parts of the world to see it. That's not how it works. You don't get to be a pillar of the community, but on every other Tuesday, you're a member of the Klan. And you know what? Don't don't bother me. Look, it's privately, I'm a member of the Klan. Leave me be. I'm minding my own business. And the rest of the month, I'm absolutely perfectly fine, member of the community. I have black friends, blah, blah. And that's not how the world works. And it's nobody should be treated with kid gloves. And it comes down to figure out who the hell you are. This guy was not a teenager. If he wasn't comfortable with who he was as a human being, that's on him. And, uh, you know, I'm sorry, but don't do things you're embarrassed of. Don't do things that will devastate you. And I suspect, like I say, there's a hell of a lot more going on here. They're making it about the, um, the, the right website. wing, Rather, yes, the yeah, conservative the website in the Washington Post. But they're making it about that because the alternative would be to point out that this guy is transvestite or cross-dressing or transgender, whatever the hell it is, has had some kind of mental problems that you want to deal with. If you dig into most of the, you know, they say, oh, there's so much suicide in the trans community. And so you, you can't say anything negative about them. That's, if you're that much of a hair trigger in suicide, you have some sort of mental problem that we should probably get you help for. I don't care how you dress. I don't care what you think you are. I don't want you to kill yourself. It's pretty simple, pretty basic. They always talk about the murders of the trans community. It's disproportionate. There's like, it's not very many, but they always say it's disproportionate. I love the way that the left thinks they'd be cool with murder or suicide or whatever, as long as it's about roughly what the population is. It's ridiculous, but, but they talk about it and they say all these murders of trans women, particularly trans women of color. If you actually look past the headlines and the Dateline NBC's or the NBC Nightly News headlines, you'll find that most of them involve drug use and or prostitution. 
which people don't go into because they got nothing better to do. Most of the time they fall into it because they have mental problems. And you'll find a lot of them are homeless, which, again, is something people fall into for, for with, because of mental problems. So then once you go down that rabbit hole and say, we need to stop these, we need to really seriously address this, the left only wants to go so far as to address this problem as far as people pointing out that they're trans. Well, that's not the root cause. There's something mentally wrong here that we should address. And if you do that, then you might be of the mindset or possibly run into the fact that at least with some of these people, they are, quote, trans because there is some sort of mental problem there. You solve that, then the whole house of cards on the left collapses, and they don't want to address that problem. They'll only go so far in addressing this problem then so far that it's useful to them. They won't go any further than that, and they'll let people suffer because of it because they don't really care. They are useful tools right now. If the trans community started voting Republican, Democrats would never say another word about it. They wouldn't give a damn. Boom. All right, I'm going to thank you, Derek. Very, very clear on that. I'm going to uh, ask you about a few other stories that I of interest to me, and, of course, anything that... You saw interesting in the news. Oh, by the way, the government's due to shut down next Friday. Are you scared? Um, uh, yeah, no, I'm already getting canned goods and preparing to cannibalize my neighbors. I'm picking out the ones that look the most delicious. <laughs> I assume it will be absolutely The Walking Dead on next yeah. Saturday. So, you know, I'm making, yeah. making You know, uh, the, there's a guy three houses down. If I can't get a turkey, we're still having Thanksgiving. That's all I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> All right, Bo Snerdley, folks, with you here on WABC. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza, November 11th. Bill Haley scored the first U.S. top 10 single of his career with this one, Shake, a Rattle, and Roll. My dad actually saw Bill Haley in his comments. Whoa, nice. Yeah. And Elvis. Not together, but yeah. Oh, by the way, your Michigan coach there—I, I, I, not that I care or even know who he really is. I guess you guys are doing like something that the New England Patriots guys did, or somebody stealing signals or something. I haven't followed it that closely. I just know that Michigan is winning, and the knives are out for Michigan when they're winning. They really just have to wait because Michigan always ties their own shoelaces together at some point in the season and blows it, but. Yeah, it sounds like it's a uh, look. People take advantage of it. I don't. I don't like what the Houston Astros did when they were banging on the garbage can and using iPads and cameras to steal the signs. But if the guy on second can steal the signs, steal the signs. It's part yeah, of the I game. W- You've got to <laughs> be good about you know protecting your stuff. And off the field is part of the game too. Boom. James Golden, keep it right here. Eight hundred eight four eight WABC is the number to call. Coming back right after this. Time inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. A 19, what, no, it was actually 2021 on November 11th. Nights in white satin. English musician, songwriter, and poet. Graham Edge died, 80 years old. Co-founder of the Moody Blues. Of course, this is one of their big ones, Night in White Satin. Derek Hunter is here with us. It is a Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Derek, did you watch the Republican debates this week? Because I love you. Yes, I love you. <laughs> Derek. Yes, Derek. I did. Thank I did. I love you, and you I hate myself and watched that debate. <laughs> I do have to say, you know, i got to say, it was of, of the debates, it was yes. far superior of the debates. Um, Whoa! There were fewer people up on stage, so each candidate had a minute and a half. For the most part, they addressed the issues at hand, and the issues that were asked were relatively relevant to Republican voters in the primary. I I, I was as shocked as anybody because you look at there's Lester Holt and Kristen Welker sitting there. I you know I, Hugh Hewitt is Hugh Hewitt. He's a rock, but the rest of them, you're like, okay, here we go. And they asked relevant questions. I thought that it didn't start off all that well when the first question was, why should you be the nominee and not Donald Trump? Because the media just has an obsession with the former president. If he's not there, he shouldn't even be bothered with. But um, they they were good. They held people to their time. They kept them reined in. There were no stupid survivor questions. I'm going to write down the person you want to vote off the island. And by uh, comparison, they really exposed just how bad of a job Fox did. Uh, Mm. It's sad. Now, I'll tell you why I think, and I wrote this up for The Hill, why I think the loser was Donald Trump. And it was because, not, not because he didn't show up. Just just plain didn't show up. That was, you know, conventional wisdom and some of the other ones. He won because he wasn't there. He didn't win because he wasn't there. The debates on Fox and Fox Business were watched by people who are likely to treat, a, attend a Trump rally and act like they're in the dog pound of the old Arsenio Hall show, right? For Donald Trump. They're on board. They're on the team. It's preaching to the choir. There's something to be said for preaching to the choir, but they were preaching to the choir because it's Fox. There are a lot of, no leftist is going to watch Fox or Fox Business, even by accident, they'll need like a Silkwood shower if they don't flip past the channel fast enough. They feel dirty about it. They go and pray and ask for forgiveness from Rachel Maddow if they spend two seconds on it. But if you get on NBC News, some of them will watch it. But more importantly, the people who don't pay attention might stumble across it. So the audience, I didn't see the numbers. I assume the numbers were not as large as the first debate. They were horrible. But, Seven million people. But they're, I think they're different people. I think that a large percentage of them are different people. Because Donald Trump is still 30 points ahead. He still won the debate. He doesn't. Let me finish the point, James. I don't really care. You can go back up living up Trump's rear end in your nice penthouse apartment after I'm done talking. <laughs> but... The 7 million people that watched, a good percentage of them are people who, they're not 
some of them were probably liberals who would never turn on Fox, and other people would never turn on Fox because they just don't turn on any of them. But they're sitting at home on a Wednesday night, and they're flipping around, and they, they're waiting to watch. I don't even know what's on NBC now, but they're one of the Law & Order things, one of the 15 Law & Order shows. And they go, wait, what is this? And they might catch some of the debate, if only by accident. Then some of them might watch longer than this because they're like aware that it's going on by accident because of the venue. So in that sense, Donald Trump, if he's going to be the nominee, and I'm trying not to choke on that, if he's going to be the nominee, a good percentage of those 7 million people are the people he's going to have to appeal to in order to win. And he passed up on an opportunity to talk to them. And he'll have plenty of opportunity when they get to the presidential debates. No, he won't. No, he won't. He might give an occasional interview. to. He's never going to get two hours in prime time again. They don't carry his rallies. 2016 is done. All the networks carrying his rallies, even the cable networks, even Fox doesn't bother. Sooner or later, Newsmax will stop carrying Look, his rallies. Look, in a presidential race, if it's him and Biden, he will get plenty of airtime and he will have plenty of time before the American people. Now, let me you just say one it, other James. thing. You're, you're not what about? He'll get plenty of airtime. You can get plenty of airtime being a punching bag. You, this was not too. This this was an opportunity for him to talk to the American people and tell them what he shouldn't. He, wants to uh, do he, as he shouldn't. He should not. He, he doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. He's, how about Vivek? I hope to God he's not incapable of it. But he sure as hell seems incapable of it. His rallies Ooh. are ninety percent. You're starting to sound like Chris Christie there. Wronged. No, you're starting I'm, to sound like Chris Christie. I'm, I will Let vote me, for him. Chris Christie won't vote for him. I okay. will vote for him. But I want. He's got my vote. He's got your vote. He doesn't need to convince us, James. He needs to convince the 5 to 7% of people, some of whom tuned in on Wednesday. Let Those me tell you something. That, gotta if you look at the latest polling, he is convincing people outside of the Republican Party. You, you know, how many look, Super Bowls you, have been won by halftime? None. Because uh, the okay. is all the way through. But let me ask you about Vivek and this business with him calling out the McPhail, uh, Rona McPhail, and and just and no, and McDaniel, McDaniel. I like Romney Princess McDaniel, not McPhail. No, you're thinking of Sharon McPhail. Okay, so he called her out, as yeah. and he and and her track record is her track record. Her track and, record is terrible. Right? Was he? wrong to call her out did he hurt himself now he may have hurt himself with that in uh with with the exchange that he had with nikki haley where she called him you scum you're a scum yeah and of course he's out merchandising on that now he's he's got a merchandise line about rebel scum so he didn't uh, become a multi-millionaire by accident you know sometimes you gotta look um Trying to think of a peaceful way to, or a, a, a FCC friendly way to do this. We'll just talk about wieners. There's, there's a good way to, to not turn off the female vote, and it's not to be a wiener, to get not, not an Anthony wiener, but a wiener is the crude term for that. And what Vivek said to Nikki Haley was completely valid. Her adult daughter was on TikTok, I think. I think I know she was. I think she might still be, but. If you're going to lecture the country, you should probably, you know, you can't have your kids smoking a pole mall behind you while you tell a whole bunch of people not to smoke, right? 
So in that sense, it was fair game, and it was an adult child, not a, a minor child. Nikki's reaction was canned, and they tweeted it out, too, about the heel. It just was bad. Nikki, Nikki's a fine debater. She did fine in the debate, but she sometimes has a, the ability to come off as though it's rehearsed. Whether or not it is, I don't know. I'm not involved in the campaign. But uh, Vivek, Vivek, I think is how it's pronounced, was a uh, was being a wiener, and it, he could have done or said the same things in a less wienerish way, uh, and gotcha. probably served himself much much better. As far as calling out Rana Romney McDaniel, she absolutely does deserve to be called out. She has a horrible track record. As you know, sad to say, Michael Steele has a better track record as RNC chairman than Rana Romney oh my McDaniel gosh. does. I know. Well, he was there in 2010. If if it, it's only a matter of timing, who knows? But he was there when they took the House, and uh, two years later, I believe, when they took the Senate. But definitely, maybe maybe the Senate was uh, when uh, Reince Priebus was there. But that being said, if you want to be honest about Ronna McDaniel, as Vivek was he should have gone the full way and here's where your hair is going to stand up on the back of your neck rana romney mcdaniel became chairwoman of the republican national committee and remains chairwoman of the republican national committee because of one human being and one human being donald trump only donald trump john trump so you can sit there and you go yeah the 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 captain look i'm not look Keeps ramming the ship of aground, but the president of the company keeps keeps him in the job. At a certain Look, point, you go, the captain sucks, but we got a bigger problem here, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we got to take a break. Uh, Derek Hunter, ladies and gentlemen, the phone lines are that one as quickly as possible, aren't you? I'm not running away from it. I actually said uh-huh. when, when Donald Trump is the reason that she's there and remains there. I actually agree with you on that narrow point. And she should be gone. You Trump hater. Change, you Trump hater. I'm not a Trump hater. Everybody knows that. Not like you. When you sit here and rag the guy. And it doesn't matter whether you rag him. He's still 30 some odd points up ahead. Congratulations. You keep spiking that football on the five-yard line. Okay. 2004, Queen inducted into the United Kingdom's first. Hall of Music fame. Does anyone even know that it exists? I'd never heard it until just now. Yeah, there you go. James Golden, a.k.a. Sternly Derek Hunters here. It is the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. We're just getting started. Your phone call is coming up. 800-848-WABC. Don't go away. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. The Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza is in your ears. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. On November 11th, 1978, the Queen of Disco, as she was kind of known at the time, she was a lot more than that. Great recording artist. Donna Summer started three weeks at number one in the United States with her version of this song, just Jimmy Webb's song, MacArthur's Park. And also on the same day, Donna Summer went number one on the U.S. album charts with her album Live and More. 77 WABC listeners, listen, support veterans and their families this Veterans Day by donating to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. All you have to do is to go to wabcradio.com slash T2T in order to donate. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation do all they can to support the veterans of our great country. You can show your support for them this Veterans Day. Go to wabcradio.com slash T2T and donate also. 77 WABC is proud to support the Lee Greenwood concert experience. That's tomorrow, November 12th. You can send a veteran and their guest to see Lee Greenwood's all-star concert. And you also will get a DVD version for yourself for a $50 contribution. Learn more, support a veteran now at adoptavet.com. So that's two different websites, adoptavet.com for the Lee Greenwood experience which happens tomorrow. And also you can go to wabcradio.com slash T2T to donate to Tunnel to Towers for all the great work that they do. So, Derek, <clears throat> now let's turn our attention to something else. Yes. What do you think about this? There was a, a hit piece. I talked about this yesterday. I'm still feeling over it. The headline, Inside Mike Johnson's Ties to a Far-Right Movement to Gut the Constitution. And some little freelance journalist, Laura Jeted, this is a lengthy article, prints out to almost 30 pages, 28 pages. She's written for the New Republic, Rolling Stone, that'll tell you something right there, Those two, yeah. and New York Magazine. Anyway... And, and this is kind of Pravda. Yeah, this is kind of what 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 you would expect out of out of some of those publications. Okay, she's talking about this convention of states business. This claim in the headline Mike Johnson's ties. Now, deep in the about a, a few pages into the article, not right near the top, they actually admit that the new speaker of the house has not endorsed 
convention of the states. Who cares? You know who endorsed the convention of the states? The founding fathers who put it in the Constitution. Thank you. That's what I was getting. Boom. Boom. But, okay, and they don't want to gut the Constitution. It's in there. Now, I don't know whether I support the idea that we should have a convention of the states or not. I'm still on the fence about it. I still weigh both sides. I don't think it could let be. Mark Levin hear you say that. He I don't. Look, Mark is Mark, and, and I'm me. I think it could be an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> no, I understand. I understand. Once you open the door to it, you can't right. control over where it goes. I understand that fear. Exactly. Now, at the same time, this is a constitutional process. There's nothing unconstitutional about it, and certainly the people that are advocating for it do not want to gut the Constitution. The same sort of thing, James. This is the left. Um, they prey on the ignorance of the American people whom they've um, failed to educate deliberately on civics when they talk about all of these laws being passed are... are uh, Anti-democratic. Like, well, if it's going through the legislative process, might I suggest that anti-democratic is the wrong way to, you know, if it gets a majority vote of the duly elected legislators, people who are put there to represent the people, it's not exactly tyrannical, right? Can we just be honest about that? That's the process. Okay, the left are the ones who go to court and try to sue to impose their will on people. Every time they lose, we, this is what democracy looks like. They scream, and then the second they lose a referendum, there's a lawsuit to try and overturn the results of the election. So spare me this righteous indignation. It is constitutionally how it's supposed to be done. There are two ways to amend the Constitution. Democrats would prefer to uh, live by the third one that they created, which is they get a judge somewhere to just decree it to be so. That's not mm-hmm. what democracy looks like at all. Let's head to the telephones very quickly. Dom in Minnesota, you're up first. Your point, please, Dom, for me yes, and sir. for Derek. Yeah, first off, happy Veterans Day to you and Derek and all the veterans out there that made it possible for the homo-loving hobos uh, Hamas-loving hobos to, de- to demonstrate in front of the White House. Having said that, awesome deba- debate between you and Derek. I was just listening. Looks like Derek cleaned your clock, at least on Trump's not showing up for the debates. That's exactly I how like I He did not too. clean my clock. Smart man. Smart man. He did not. Smart okay, Dom, look, I love you, but Derek didn't, Derek never cleans my clock, first of all. I dusted Let's, it. I dusted it. It was a little You bit didn't even dusty. dust it. Look, I yeah. don't give. you guys could go on and on about Trump not showing up for the debates. There is nothing that Trump could gain by showing up on the stage with these contenders. Are you nothing. kidding me? He could put the he if he shows up at the debate. Imagine this. Cast in your mind's eye this scenario. Donald Trump goes out there on the debate stage and cleans the clock of everybody out. Actually, just destro- decimates them with facts, with educated opinion with unambiguous plans for the future. He is everything you'd expect him not to be. He goes out there and he just decimates everybody. It's over at that point, right? It's, it's over not, now. Why should no, he do it? Look, it is, it is, regardless of what you say, it is over now. None of the, okay, let me ask, Don, let me ask you a question. election in history with no, in modern times, 
with no presidential debate because Biden's team is going to look at this and say, all right, we need to formulate a way to get Joe out of these debates. Well, Donald Trump didn't go out there and debate because all these candidates were irrelevant and not legitimate. And he was so far ahead. Like, okay, Donald Trump is not a legitimate candidate. We will not deign to share the stage with him as president of the United States. He is a threat to democracy. We're not going to debate. Then what do you get? What's the argument against it? He's got to go out there. He needs to. The American people deserve to have it. Well, all of this oh, stuff yeah. is being said now about Donald Trump, and mm. he's saying no. He is kneecapping himself. He is his own Jeff Galuli, smacking himself on the knees, and uh, he's his own Nancy Kerrigan as well. It's a problem. He's, let, he's, me ask, the <clears throat> let me ask both of you a question. I will start with you, Dom, since you believe that Mr. Derek over here cleaned my clock. It was filthy, too. Thank you. Um, Dom, which one of the candidates that debated is going to be the nominee for the Democrat, for the Republican Party, in your view? In my view, none of them but Donald Trump at this okay, point. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Dom, and we appreciate your call. Derek, let I mean, me ask so you the same question. Hold on. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Let me ask the question. Derek, and answer the question without a lot of sidetracking. Which one of those candidates on the debate stage will be the Republican nominee? Ron DeSantis. <sighs> okay, delusional. I like Ron DeSantis. On the debate stage? On the, of the people on the debate which stage? One, which one is going to be the, which one are you predicting will be the presidential nominee for the Republican Party? Of the people on the stage, I would say Ron no, DeSantis. No, no. I'm saying of all the, okay, who will be you the, the question. let me, precise fine, language. precise, thank you, okay, let me reframe the question because, of course, you slithered through it. And, 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 and that was well done, by the way. That was some really efficient and well done slithering. I have to remind myself who, that's right. Okay, who will be the Republican nominee? I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll have to see. At who this it stage is. in the game, who do you think will be the Republican nominee? If the primary were held today, everybody would be shocked because the primary isn't held until beginning in January. So you want me to tell you who's going to win the Super Bowl? I don't even know who's going to make the playoffs. I'm asking you a you simple win? question that you are dodging. There's a reason. If you had like to say today, who, if you had to. To stop this process now. Because I'm not interested in stopping any process. I Trump love that. Let him keep I debating. I want Donald Trump to earn it, James. Derek, earn he already it. did. He earned it already. No, he didn't. Yes, no, he, he didn't. did. He, feel, he you, declared himself entitled to it. He didn't earn it. There's a difference between the two. He's earned he it, and he's himself. earning it every day he sits in court dealing with these lefties and with the arrows that have been pointed at him ever since he started running. Donald Trump has. Donald Trump is going to be rewarded for everything that he has had to go through dealing with the left and dealing with this well, corrupt pathetic. justice system. And that means and he's going to lose because the president no, that means he, is not a reward for martyrs. A presidency is not a reward for past and based needs. on what he wants to do is, in policy. What does and he it do? is a reward. What That's how you do? get reelected. What, what you get reelected, rewarded James, for what you've James, done. He wasn't Derek reelected in 2020. What does he want to do? What That's does he want to do? That's my problem. Is he's not making a case for what he wants to do. He, he is, is making. Derek, there's a case. And then Look, you can do. I understand it's your show, 
But I will have to frame this away because you are just you're missing the point. He wants to make things good and great and better and all this. And how? What does he want to do? He just here's an article today. Here's an article. Here's an article today. Los Angeles Times column. Donald Trump uh, promises vengeance and power grabs if he wins in 2024. Here is the plan. Well, one of the things that Donald Trump has said that he's going to do is actually deal with the Bidens and their corruption. That's one thing that he is promising. He's hey, also I, I seem to recall last time him promising to do that. Hillary, I know, I know, yeah. I know. Okay. Okay. So then you, you, you start talking about but that, this is, and you open yourself up to the people who don't pay attention to the news. You open yourself up to charges of... Derek, you act as if he doesn't have a track record. The department is vengeance, do you not? You, you act, and, and that's what the left is claiming, and I don't care that they're claiming it. These are the same people that are that are acting like this insurrection. You've got the choir, and you've, you're never going to get their choir. It's about winning over the people in the middle, James, the people who don't really pay attention, who are now being inundated with stories about how Donald Trump's priority is. Derek, twenty-two percent went after him. Twenty-two percent of the young black vote, according to latest polling, and this has Democrats frightened, are indicating mm-hmm. that they would rather have Donald Trump as president. What I'm saying to you is Joe Biden's term in office has provided a lot of people with a window into how truly miserable it is to have the policies that he has, these open border policies. And you know that Donald Trump has a track record on immigration, thwarted, as it were, by the rhino Republicans. Derek, Derek. Donald Trump, Donald Trump made major inroads. We got to take in a break, the black Derek. And Hispanic, I know in the black and Hispanic vote in 2020, he did, but he lost. He hemorrhaged white ladies. We're There's talking a hell of now. A lot of white ladies. There's a hell of a lot of white ladies out there. It I understand that, Derek. If you, if you make gains in one area, if you lose more in another, it's not as you. And these white team. ladies that you are talking about out there also go shopping and they see what's happening to the their pocketbooks. We and they take just a break. voted in Virginia, and they just voted in Iowa, in Ohio, and they just voted in Kentucky. You got to find a way to appeal to them. And I've been wrong. And we I'm have to take a break. Is not a way to do it. Going after the Biden. We have to take a break. Bill. Take your we have break. to take a break. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Jim Peterick, on this day, born 1950, guitar, keyboards, vocalist for this group, The Ides of March. Their hit single, Vehicle. Derek Hunter is here with us. Yeah. I'm ruined by the, I'm your vehicle, baby. I'm your designated driver or whatever. That, that, uh, drunk Great song, baby. period. We used to play yeah. that in the band I was in. That was one of our big songs. We used to play that back in the play. day. I played trumpet and trombone back in those days. 
There are millions of us, I got a text during the break, there are millions of us out here who do not agree with King Slither. Um, that would be you, Derek, King Slither. I don't think so. <laughs> Anything, but whatever. Let's okay. Say there are 8 billion people on the planet. Nobody's unique. I'm sorry to break it to everybody. It's not about how many people agree with you. It's about getting more people to agree with you than agree with your opponent. That's the difference. <laughs> yeah. Hey, by the way, Derek, you're one of your favorite guys, Matt Gates, is out blasting 70 Republicans who have voted to reward the FBI with a brand new $300 million new headquarters that'll be in Maryland. It'll be right near you. Uh, larger than the Pentagon headquarters. I wonder if they're going to name this one after uh, J. Edgar Hoover as well, or will they well, call I don't it know the himself when he was in a dress? Maybe they'd go that way. It, it's <laughs> damned if they do, damned if they don't. He's a massive abuser of civil liberties, but he did enjoy a good pump. So, you know, what are you going to do? <laughs> Maybe they'll name it the, uh, what was his, his friend's name, Tolson or something like that? Yes, 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 yes. yes. Name it after Tolson. Now, see, that would be awesome, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Derek, time is running out, and I didn't ask you about the uh, another huge story in the week. I hope Princess Di wants to talk about this one as well. Joe Manchin, the the, the liberal panties are in a wad over this one. They are yeah. just, uh, they, I've never, oh, no, this is the worst nightmare. We're going to lose the Senate. Oh, no, he might run for president. Joe Manchin, I'm not running again for the Senate. What do you think? Well, I think that Herschel Walker has been seen shopping for houses in West Virginia, so I wouldn't necessarily write off that seat for Democrats just yet. Dr. Oz has been sniffing around the, uh, the area there and wheeling West Virginia, so watch out. Carrie Lake is now torn about maybe buying a vacation home there, so it's going to be trouble. Look, Republicans find a very efficient way to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory on a regular basis. I wouldn't put anything past them. The idea that that, that uh, what really has got the left scared is that Joe Manchin is flirting with the idea of running third party or aiding a third party run. That, I think, is a more interesting story because I think that um, this could if there is a year ever a year made for a third party candidate, this would be it. When you've got the two major party likely nominees for both being wildly disliked, Joe Biden's policies wildly disliked, Donald Trump personally wildly disliked, that opens up a huge six-lane freeway in the middle. If you've got Kennedy out there and then you've got another moderate, you could win the presidency with 20% of the vote. It's uh, Derek, where can people find you? Patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or just for uh, the Saturday show. You can check the uh, regular show. Just search Derek Hunter podcast. Town Hall, four days a week. Townhall.com and thehill.com on Wednesdays. As always, my friend, you are amazing. Derek Hunter, King Slither, my man. James, I'm going back to bed. Enjoy, Derek. We'll catch up with you later. Happy Veterans Day. See you. Talk to you later, Derek Hunter, and we are coming up our number duo on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza later. Princess Di joins us later. America's small caffeinated mom joins us later. Chip Reed, CBS, has a new book, Battle Scars, appropriate for this Veterans Day.
and keep it here on WABC. Coming back shortly. Welcome back to our number duo of our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. If you want to be part of the program today, 800-848-WABC is the number to reach us. 800-848-9222. Princess Di will be coming up. America's small caffeinated mom coming up in the show today. Also, Chip Reed, journalist, CBS, NBC, has a book out, Battle Scars, very appropriate for this Veterans Day. And right now, James Flippin, WABC News, is here. James, how are you this morning? Good morning, Bo. Doing quite well. How about yourself? I am doing well. You did a story in the first hour about a uh, person in the subway, more subway problems. What was that story Mm. once more? Yeah, so that was on Thursday night, and I guess it would have been around, say, 9.30 or so, a southbound one train, and I guess the train was either at the station there at Columbus Circle and 59th Street or maybe approaching the station, and this 61-year-old guy, I mean, again, according to cops, was randomly stabbed maybe twice or at least uh, at least two times in the head and face with a screwdriver. Uh, the victim taken to Mount Sinai West in stable condition, uh, from what I heard, non-life-threatening injuries, which is always preferable. And it was a male suspect that fled the station. So, yeah, in terms of, you know, uh, Bo, always with stories like this, you you want to know, is it a totally random thing? By any chance, are these people who know each other that got into a fight or something like that? You know, what led up to this incident? I think that's all still being investigated. But we do know that it was a screwdriver that was used in this case as a weapon on this 61-year-old guy. Mm-hmm. Now, see, if I was mean, I'd ask you a question that I know you probably wouldn't have the answer to because it was unanticipated, which is how many people have been attacking subways? I'm not going to ask you that question. Instead, I'm going to ask you about another case that happened mm-hmm. in the subways this week, and I talked about this case earlier. This was the case of subway vigilante, as he's being called now, uh, 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 John Rote. People are calling him a hero. Other people are saying that, oh my gosh, he's terrible. One of the one of the uh, New York Transit officials. This is completely unacceptable. We will not tolerate what he did. What did he do? He pulled a gun. He shot twice to stop a rob a, a person who was threatening a homeless man who was threatening a 40-year-old woman who we did not want to be identified. Now, there is a story today. Uh, it is in uh, the New York Post. And this woman, unidentified woman, 40 years old, said she felt pure terror during the or- ordeal. She tried to walk. This is at 49th Street near Times Square. These are not some remote subway stations out in Ipwich, right, Ixaloxy, or wherever it is. These are right here in Midtown, the one you just reported. Also, right in the center of the city, mm-hmm. right in the center, right? She's walking through this guy, homeless guy, and has a picture of him, <clears throat> and he looks 
how shall I put it? Like something's wrong. Unsavory? Yes. <laughs> She's walking through. He blocks her way. He blocks her. He blocks this woman walking through. Starts demanding money. She finally gets around him. She says, I'm not going to give him any money. She keeps walking. He starts following her. He's demanding money. And then he's threatening her. If you don't give me money, you give me your money. I'm going to take your bag. She's trying to walk away from him. And she says he's following her, getting very close. Now, the New York Post continues to say that Roche, this is the homeless guy, who is known to police for frequently pulling the scheme. Mm. This is not a scheme. This is attempted robbery. Mm -hmm. Attempted, who is known by police. Known. He's a known person to do this. Allegedly made moves to snatch her bag. And that's when this gentleman from Queens, Mr. Rote, 43 years old, whipped out his firearm, fired several rounds <clears throat> across the subway, warning the, hey, leave this woman alone. Now she says, of course I'm happy that the man tried to help me and that nobody was injured during the incident, but it's scary to think that people are carrying guns around in the city. Really? I mean, I don't, yes, okay, it's scary. I, look, I understand the point of view, but she also says, I understand why people do it. They see it as their only means of protection. Yes, and and he protected her. And as I say, who knows? Who knows what could have happened here? Now, Mr. Rote was seen in surveillance footage casual, casually. I love these words. He pulled the gun out from his bag. He aimed it and said, get the F away from her. It all happened within seconds. It didn't phase the homeless guy at first. Give me money. Give me money. And that's when he shot a second time and yelled at the guy to back away. That's when he, the homeless guy, finally stalled. He finally took note. And that woman was able to run away. Now, Mr. Rote has been arrested. Mm -hmm. And now you have, now you have these officials, some official, I read this in the account the other day, from the, uh, from, from the transit, oh, we're, this is unacceptable. Yeah, I guess it's unacceptable. She got away. It's unacceptable. Nothing happened to her. She didn't get stabbed in the head or the face with a screwdriver from some homeless nut that the police are aware of that does these scams, yet he's still free to roam around the subways. Uh, look, I'm sorry. I have a very different view of this. I think this guy is, I, I understand the dangers of firing a weapon. I get that. And I totally get. Uh, Adam called me the other day, one of my quotes, it could have ricocheted, but it didn't. He saved, he potentially saved this woman's life and he finds himself locked up. I don't expect you to, to have, to express an opinion about this. You're a journalist, but I am, this, something is so, why is this guy, uh, he is a known predator and he's still able to roam the subways. There are no police in these subways. Right. Yeah, I mean, look, I think, Bo, if, if I were to sound off on this in any way, there's a couple different angles that I do have opinions on it. For one, I think that there's some potentially irresponsible reporting that comes with referring to this guy as a vigilante, right? 
Because when you think of right. that, like if you look up the definition of it, it's a, uh, I have it here actually, a member of a self-appointed group of citizens who undertake law enforcement in their community without legal authority, typically because the legal agencies are thought to be inadequate. Now, maybe that last part could arguably hold true if, like you're talking about, people don't feel safe in the subways because there's not enough cops there. But this doesn't sound like some guy who took it upon himself in a premeditated sense to try and you know, thwart crime or or take upon himself the enforcement of the law, he's reacting in real time to something that was happening, right? An attempted crime that was unfolding right in front of his eyes. He didn't ask for that to happen. He's standing there, I guess, waiting for a train or whatever. And this happens. And the other aspect of it that I think I'll just mention is it sounds like something that points to a city that's more or less completely out of control. Because this is a guy in 43-year-old John wrote who uh, I'm not reading anything about, like, gun charges or anything like that. You know, maybe he owns the gun legally, that type of thing. But he is being charged with reckless endangerment. Now, okay, fine, like you alluded to. People don't like the fact that somebody would shoot a bullet off inside of an enclosed subway station and the the potential for it to ricochet and, you know, the splintering of shrapnel, uh, tiles breaking and hurting you, whatever it may be, with a chaos that could ensue. But, you know, it does feel like there's... Uh, plenty of reckless endangerment just kind of going into the subway right now. Amen. That's as a rider, as a strap hanger. So the whole situation begs for something to be done about it, and I don't exactly know what it is, but obviously people aren't feeling entirely safe. I can tell you what needs to be done about it. Number one, these criminals, and that's what this is. This guy is a criminal. It's easy to say he's homeless. Okay, he's a homeless criminal. He is a criminal. This is attempted robbery. He should not be permitted. Police know. Police are well aware that he this, that he uses this scheme. It is not a scheme. It is a crime. And police know that he is a criminal. He should not be in the subway system. He is a known criminal who has done this before. His ass needs to be in jail. Period. Okay, period. He needs to be in jail, not free to roam the subways to terrorize and commit attempted robbery on. And who knows what could happen if a robbery like this goes bad, if he's in a particular mood or whatever and decides that he just doesn't want to take no for an action or if she fights back or something. Who knows what could happen here? It could turn deadly or could turn into something more than a purse snatching. So number one, lock up the damn criminals in jail. Number two, you're using all these resources in New York. What about the safety of New York citizens as a priority, not as an afterthought? That's where resources should go for the taxpayers. You provide safety for the taxpayers. And if your taxpayers have to ride the subways to get back and forth to work, to recreation, or whatever, you make sure that every single subway in this city has officers in it at all time. I don't want to hear anything about the money because they spend so much money on so much bull crap. Put the money where people need it to be safe while they go about their commute, while they go about their life on public transit. And that is my rant on it. Thank you.
Yeah, I I totally uh, agree. I mean, look, attempted robbery is a violent offense, right? Like even just being accosted with the threat is violent. And not enforcing those crimes, I feel anyway, leads to the breakdown of society. That's why a guy pulls out a gun in Midtown and fires off a couple rounds. It's like a Wild West scene where you're trying to, people are so out of control, this, this fight at a saloon or something, and the guy fires a few shots off into the sky to try to get everybody to calm down. You know what I mean? That type of thing. It's um it's a call for order i think meanwhile you have letitia james hauling in donald trump to court and all of this wasting all this taxpayer dollars you have alvin bragg letting these criminals out of jail because oh they didn't really mean it or oh we don't want to have the mass incarceration oh it's racist to put people in jail this this whole thing is just it's this is fraying at the institutional respect for law and without a sound policy of law that all citizens understand that as the law is the underpin the underpinning of a safe and a decent society if people lose respect for the law as they have done in new york and we are watching it you look at some of these protests last night they just shut down uh, these and, and I'm not getting into the politics of it, whether you're for or against the, the Palestinians or not or whatever. But when you have these these protests, Grand Central was just shut down again last night. They were arrested. Just, just shut it down because people think, okay, we can just go and 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 protest. There are going to be no consequences other than we just get a little arrest and we're back on the streets. You, we are watching the breakdown of respect for the law in this city, and it is a frightening thing to witness. Yeah, and I mean, look, I don't know, uh, at this point, the whole debate over, you know, mostly peaceful protest and all that kind of stuff has been probably done to death to an extent, but it does feel like a lot of these, like I was watching some of the social media video of the, the protests last night at Grand Central, and, you know, people are being extremely nasty to the cops there, right? And I'm not saying that they can't take it or that, you know, you don't have freedom of speech and all this kind of thing. But, you know, yelling at the cops like, you know, I'll do this to you. I'll f you up, you know, like all this kind of stuff. And it's like, you know, how is that? What about that is constructive? You know what I mean? Like, what about that is productive? How are right. you advancing some kind of a message that you feel is going to result in? It just it just feels like people expressing rage. And that's what it has become. Now, on a happier note, let us turn our attention to uh, this weekend's football, shall we? Oh, because when, I, understand, <laughs> I, understand, I understand there's a big game coming up this weekend. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah who would, that, who would I, that be, James? Well, uh, so obviously, Bo, your Dallas Cowboys are greatly favored against my New York Giants, as well they should be. This time it'll be in Jerry World after that opening week drubbing what was that 40 zip that the cowboys uh blanked the giants and you know this time around the giants are kind of the walking wounded with new jersey's native son tommy devito starting at quarterback for the giants by the way bo i just i feel like that's like the name of a guy and he's an undrafted free agent i feel like they just like called up some delis in new jersey in and around the meadowlands and we're like hey anybody can anybody throw the football oh tommy send them tommy tommy can throw it you know that type of thing um now god bless the kid i hope he does well tomorrow obviously but um i don't know how long i'm going to be able to watch that game i'll put it to you that way well it, it, anything can happen and they could actually i i watched i i have to say i stopped watching football but i did turn it on 
Uh, for some reason, I had it on during the last watch Dallas fail at the end of the game last week, yeah. whoever they were playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot even who they were playing because I didn't pay that much attention to it. But when I heard that they're playing the Giants this weekend, of course, I'm just happy. And I thought of you immediately. <laughs> yes, it'll be uh, an absolutely entertaining. It's the 425 kickoff, so you're kind of settled into your Sunday afternoon. And if you're really dead set on, you know, look, like you said, it's a rivalry game, Giants-Cowboys, you really never know what's going to happen, all those NFC East games, and that's what it was with last weekend, you alluded to it, the Cowboys came up just short, uh, you know, against the Eagles. So, um, for the Giants right now, I'll be honest with you, Bo, I think most fans are kind of just more or less thinking to next year and whether or not Jones is going to still be the quarterback, you know, he's out with the knee surgery now, and uh, just a lot of uncertainty for those Giants after what was a positive year for them last year, but... Uh, the Cowboys, look, it, it's always kind of a question for them what's going to happen as the year goes on. But at 5-3, and three, they're in the mix. And, you know, I think Dak Prescott is uh, continuing to sort of round into form. i got to tell you, as a, as a fantasy football player, I'm looking for a little more out of Cowboys running back Tony Pollard. And if he does that against my Giants, I'll live with it. All right. James Flippin, is always great that you spend some time with us here on this Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Great Thank you, James. You, Thank you. Indeed. Laverne Baker is going to take us in. Birthday today, Heavenly. And this is old school R&B. Laverne Baker, who left us in 1997. But today would be her birthday. Coming up in this hour, Chip Reed, NBC and CBS journalist, has a new book out, Battle Scars. We're celebrating a Veterans Day here on WABC, and that's part of the celebration. Stay with us. Your call is coming up as well. Birthday today, Andy Partridge, singer and songwriter, also the guitarist with Ecstasy, XTC, mayor of this, mayor of Simpleton. I have a nomination for that on WABC. We're expecting Chip Reed soon. Let's get to the telephone, take some calls while we can. Uh, Sandra in New Jersey, you've been holding a very long time. Thank you for waiting and being so patient. How are you? Oh, you're very welcome, James. Um, I'm fine, thank you. You know, I enjoy your relationship with Derek. I like what he has to say. He's entitled to his opinion. You know, as far as that debate goes, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I had my cat on my lap, Hunter, for two hours. and But you know what? After the debate was over... I took out my credit card and I voted for Trump. I gave him a little donation. So boom, that yeah. But I I like seeing all these people because maybe they're going to be part of the administration. Maybe they're not. I want to know what they're all about. So I enjoyed it. But I really wanted to talk about for a second, if I could, the word envy. 
um, Dick Morris, for, he spoke about a book called Jealousy. And the two emotions, jealousy and envy, are very, very similar, but they're very, very different. If you're jealous of someone, it's okay. It's a healthy emotion. Oh, I'm jealous. I want to have what he has. I'm going to work hard and get it. But when you envy someone, don't, don't ever wish someone to envy you because it's almost like they want to kill you. And like he talks about it with um, Donald Trump and the prosecutors and the judges, how they envy him, and that's why they're going after him. And then I took it a step further, and I thought about Israel, you know, envy. You know, people want to have maybe what Israel has, so they're envious, so they want to destroy instead of trying to copy. And, and yeah, and then I thought of that movie Seven. I don't know if you ever saw that with Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt and um, – uh, Gwyneth Paltrow, the killer was very envious of Brad Pitt. So in the end, because of his envy, he decapitates his wife and puts her head in a box and sends it to him. Oh, yeah, that's a good movie for everyone to see. It's a good envy movie. Very, very. Uh, it's, it's called it's called Seven, and it mm-hmm. is in 1994 that they made that movie, but it's really, really good, and it sends a message about the the, the different sins that we, you know, there's gluttony, there's... Um, the seven uh, deadly sins, yes. Yeah, there's greed, and, and envy is a big Adverous. one, and I think that's what, that's what we should look at, envy. Well, that's an interesting point. I wonder what some other people think about that. Envy, of course, and I like the way that you differentiated it between en- uh, envy and jealousy, and when a person is envious of you. You know, this is one of the things I see envy in so many aspects of our society. If you look at the way that people always march around with this slogan, and of course Democrats are the kings and queens of slogans, uh, tax the rich. The rich should pay their fair share. The rich are already paying more than their fair share. They already pay the most of the taxes are borne by the rich, the majority of taxes, but yet you still hear these themes come up. You hear all these themes come up when people talk about the fact that there are inequalities, as if human life is supposed to be fair that everybody gets exactly the same thing. That's never what life was about, never will be what life is about, despite whatever policies people put in place. I looked at the way that certain people, to me, when you say envy, the way that certain people react to success and the success of others. I got a really close look at this when Rush was on the air all those many years and was dominating the industry. And then you could see once in a while these little snarky comments that come up from people, whether they be on the TV side or other sides. And to me, it was really plain in many of these snarky comments, there was a lot of envy. Why should he be enjoying this kind of success? And I'm not. So I like the way that you brought this up, and this envy is, of course, one of the seven deadly sins that affect all of us. Very well. Very, very well thought out, Sandra. Thank you for the call. Let us go to the Catskills, and Chris, you're on WABC. It's our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. You've been waiting, Chris. Thank you. How are you? Good morning, James. Uh, my father was a paratrooper. He almost served in Korea. The war ended nine days uh, after his basic training ended. He made 39 jumps. I saw an interesting piece on the news that uh, MDNA, uh, the street name of ecstasy, has a very positive effect 
on eliminating uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome than over 70% of the study recipients. Um, I also, uh, you were playing the Queen song. Let me just, before, before you do that, before you do that, I've been hearing, and I'm sure that you have too, about these magic mushrooms. Well, there's a story today that's out. Um, I didn't print it up. This guy, remember a guy a few weeks ago that threatened, he was trying to, he was in the cockpit, he was a, a pilot, but he was off duty, and he was trying to disable the plane. He was high, apparently, on magic mushrooms. And the magic mushrooms are being touted as another treatment for PS, uh, PSTD and another treatment for people that have had long-term systemic mental health problems. And so I'm just going to throw out a caution that there is so much that we don't know about the, the power of some of these drugs that I just really want to be careful before people hear this stuff and say, oh, great idea, maybe I'll try it. Yeah, well, maybe not. Maybe be careful. Go ahead, Chris. Full disclosure, I've tried magic mushrooms. I've never tried ecstasy back in, uh, a while ago. But um, with it, and another, <laughs> we somehow got on the top. I brought it up on the topic of drugs. You played a Queen song. If you play the song, another one bites the dust backwards. Back mask it. It says start to smoke marijuana during that uh, chorus line. I, I called into Curtis Lewa when he was filling in for Brian Kilmeade, and it, and it kind of made the show that day, me bringing that up, because Curtis was Well, it won't song. make the show this day, because I'm not going to play but, it backwards. But, but, and listen, Paul, and, and Paul is still alive, with, by the way. I agree with Derek Hunter's points that he was making, like every single one regarding Trump, and I was on the phone with, uh, uh, with Dominic Carter the other night, and he and I have, have agreed to disagree on this point. But I thought the debate was very interesting in that I'm looking at it from the bigger picture. Uh, the, the top three candidates, uh, Ron DeSantis, uh, Mr. Ramaswamy, and Nikki Haley, um, only one of those three candidates is actively uh, getting themselves out there to be Trump's running mate in 2024. That's Mr. Ramaswamy. He actually... Um, turned over and he attacked Kristen Welker and basically called uh, NBC uh, fake news. And, and that was very a la Trump, uh, Trump-ish. Yeah, we played, the, and, we played the soundbite of that on, on our show on Bolsonaro's Rush Hour. We played the soundbites of that from the debate. Now, we'll say this. Donald Trump has said he's not going to select anyone on that debate stage as his running mate. Now, whether that holds or not, we don't know. But you agreed with Derek Hunter. Hmm? I'm going to attribute that to the residual effect of the magic mushrooms and leave it at that. Chris, appreciate you, call. We got a clock is ticking. We got to move along here. James Golden, a.k.a. Snurley. Time for the morning dance on WABC. Oh, man. Oh. Which means it's time to get up and move the body, ladies and gentlemen. We do this every week. At the midway point in the show, Spira Jara takes us in with morning dance, named appropriately for the morning dance. As we dance and groove in the morning here on WABC, it is Veterans Day, and we want to remind you again to support the veterans and their families this Veterans Day by donating to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. All you have to do, go to wabcradio.com slash T2T to donate. 
The Tunnel to Towers Foundation do all they can to support the veterans of our great country. You can show support for them this Veterans Day. Go to wabc.com slash t2t. Make your donation there. Also, the 77 WABC is proud to support the Lee Greenwood Concert Experience tomorrow, November 12th. You can send a veteran and their guest to see Lee Greenwood's All-Star Concert Experience and receive the DVD, the DVD version for yourself. That's for a $50 contribution. You can learn more about that and support a veteran now at AdoptAVet.com. AdoptAVet.com. And remember to go to WABCRadio.com slash T2T to donate to Tunnel to Towers Foundation on this Veterans Day. Coming back with our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Don't go away. James, welcome aboard. Nice to see you again, sir. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Half Brit Nick is working the music end of the show this morning. Talking Heads brings us back on WABC Talk Radio 77. It is Veterans Day. We find ourselves right now with veteran journalist. He's worked for the powerhouses, CBS, worked for NBC for a lot of years, and uh, he was embedded in Iraq with uh, with uh, in, during the Iraq War, Kuwait to Baghdad, and he has a new book out now. It's called Battle Scars. Veteran broadcaster, and we are so pleased to have him here. Chip Reed. Chip, how are you? Welcome. How are you? Welcome to the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. I'm doing well, and a happy Veterans Day to you and all of your listeners. Thank you so much. Chip, tell us about your book, Battle Scars. Tell us, number one, this is fascinating to me, the fact that you were embedded. Can you believe it's been, what, 22 years? (laughs) No, I was in denial until I added up the numbers, and oh, my God, it has been 20 years. So, yeah, like about three years ago. So the premise of the book, you went back and you actually – re-interview people that you had dealt with in during the time you were embedded. So tell us about it. Well, I was, I retired in 2021. And uh, shortly after that, I was driving home for Thanksgiving and uh, uh, picking up my mother in Wilmington, Delaware. I live in DC and then going up to the suburbs of Philadelphia for our big celebration, Thanksgiving celebration. And, and this pickup truck passed by me in the left-hand lane doing about 90 miles an hour, uh, all tricked out, brand new temporary plates and two Marine stickers. And I thought, isn't that just like a Marine? I know those guys. They're so proud to be Marines, uh, rightfully so, that the guy just bought the damn thing and he already has two stickers on it. And it got me thinking of my time in Iraq with these guys who I admired so much. I don't have a military bone in my body, so it was just absolutely eye-popping and jaw-dropping to see what these guys did. 
uh, at age 18, making life and death decisions. When when my biggest decision was whether it was who to invite to the prom, you know, my good friend or, or her smoking hot little sister. And uh, so that was my big conundrum. <laughs> and and you had all these guys making life and death decisions at that age. And I came to admire them so much. And so at that moment, as that pickup truck disappeared in the distance, I said, that's it. That's what I'm going to write my book about. I'm going to write about the Marines 20 years later, how that combat experience changed their lives. And when I started getting these guys on the line, they wanted to tell their stories. They don't want their service and especially their sacrifice to be forgotten. Uh, and they just poured their hearts out. It was a, an amazing experience, really, for me. I I'd do an hour and a half Zoom interview with, with one of these guys and I'd get off and I'd be that nap. I was so exhausted afterwards. Tell us about some of the things that struck you with how their experience changed their lives. Well, one of the big ones is that, uh, you know, Marines uh, treat each other. They, they become brothers in arms, but they're more than brothers. They would die for each other. I don't think every brother in the United States would die for his brothers uh, in the general population. Uh, certainly would do things for them, but these guys would die for them. And when they lose a brother uh, on the battlefield, especially if it's a good uh, one of the closest ones, uh, it's, a, it's trauma. And it can be trauma for life. It can be stress for life. And there was a lot of PTSD, a lot of PTS to a lot of guys don't like that D at the end disorder, post-traumatic stress, as opposed to post-traumatic stress disorder. They overdiagnosed in the early days. And a lot of guys got branded with PTSD who didn't want to be. Uh, but still, whatever you call it, there was a lot of trauma and a lot of stress. And a lot of guys in Marines didn't, you know, they're guys who hide their feelings, They except to their buddies. They don't want to go to some some shrink and talk about it. So it took a lot of these guys uh, uh, quite a bit of time to uh, finally listen to their wives and their children and their family, other family members and go get some help and, and deal with the issue. And I think of PTSD as a long, dark tunnel with a light at the other end. And if you pursue it and you go down that tunnel, you can come out at the other end, which is with what is known as post-traumatic growth. Uh, and that means uh, a renewed appreciation for life, a newfound sense of purpose, um, enhanced spirituality, greater inner strength, better relationships with other, with other people and a desire to help other people. And it's uh, it's really an amazing transformation when they do go through it. Now, very few experience all of those things, but they experience something uh, in the way of post-traumatic growth if you deal with it. And I, I just hope that this book will encourage families to understand uh, what their what their marine or soldier or airman or uh, or sailor is going through, and to uh, to try to help them. Now, you just said you, you said something uh, when you, when you began talking about this about the trauma and how it affects their lives. And right. I had a conversation yesterday with a woman uh, named Diane Height. She is a part of a group called uh, Forever Young Vets, and what they do is take veterans. Uh, many of them from World War II, but also from the other conflicts, back to the uh, the scene, back to where right. they fought. And so she was part of the honor flights that are taking now a uh, hundred year great old organization. great organization. Yep. And so one of the things that she said yesterday, it, it, uh, she almost brought me to tears. She talked about how the, yeah. she's never taken a salary for this, that her own dad had suffered from this at the time they didn't have a name for it they didn't know it was right. uh, post-traumatic right. and so she looks at, and she started this organization as a way for giving back she said her, her dad had died young 
young, and um, there was alcoholism involved too because it was oh, he yeah. was obviously self medicating, right? Right. But right. then she said that when th- that these vets that they take over there back to places like Normandy, she said you can feel the tension on the way over. They're nervous. They're almost reliving their experiences. But after they are there, and and many of them seek out the the graves or or the right or, of their buddies of, yeah. of their buddies, and when they come back home, they finally have peace. Right. They find, right. and she said, "This thing is real. This is a." I remember that line watching um watching Steve uh, the, the the D Day movie that uh, uh, Spielberg made. Yes. When at, yes. The, when at the end the character says, "I hope you're proud for me." This apparently is not just a line in a movie. This is the way many of them feel. They want yeah, to make sure. Go yeah. ahead. They want, they want to make sure their stories are told, they're not forgotten, uh, and that they feel appreciated for what they did. Now, in World War II, that wasn't so difficult to feel appreciated because the entire nation was behind the war. But when you're talking about Vietnam or Afghanistan or Iraq, the American people would rather forget those wars than remember them and honor the people. So what we need to do is make a special effort to honor the people and write tributes like my book is to the people who fought in wars that are unpopular and largely forgotten. As one of the Marines said to me, you know, uh, we didn't storm Normandy. So sometimes we have a hard time explaining and justifying what we did uh, and why we're suffering so much with the consequences of what we did. Uh, if we had done something that ridded, rid the world of, of uh, Adolf Hitler, uh, then maybe it would be different, uh, but but it's it's really hard when what you did is something the American people would rather forget, or that the American people really don't have any understanding of, because right. uh, very often the policies that took them there have never been fully explained. They don't see exactly. this back in you know, when when we came up through journalism. I'm sure that we, we have some similar. Uh, uh, memories. I remember right, right. very clearly the domino theory, the idea that you had to stop communism. That's right. And even though, even though that that was a turned out to be something that got lost in the Vietnam era, at least at the time when we, the, the war was first unfolding, people understood to a degree what yep. the policy was. That's right. Right. That's exactly right, right now. It's hard for people to even understand why we are in certain theaters, because it is not. These are complex stories. They are very complex stories. And I think going into Afghanistan was very easy to understand initially, because it was to get uh, Osama bin Laden and his cronies to kill them, destroy that organization. But but that doesn't entail being there for 20 years. And Iraq... Uh, was was much more mystifying as to why we were there. And, uh, you know, it was weapons of mass destruction. But about with my battalion, about halfway to Baghdad, it became very clear there were no weapons of mass destruction. Uh, there were plenty of weapons of destruction, but not biological and chemical and nuclear. Uh, and some of these guys became discouraged at that point. And then the message shifted to you're there to protect and free the Iraqi people, which is a terrific uh, message. 
but so, some of the guys, and I'm saying some, not a majority, a majority of them simply took the position then and now that they answered the call, they did their job, they put their lives on the line, and they did their jobs well. But there was a minority of these guys who said, you know, what are we here for if we're here just to free people from a brutal dictator? Well, we could be in 20 other countries in the world doing the same thing. So, so there was some discouragement there. But I tell you, most of these guys just take the line that we did our duty and and we want to be respected for it. And they should be. The sacrifice and that these, should. as you point out, these are 18, 19, 20-year-olds, and in some cases, in many cases, in these, cases are people yeah. who volun- these are people who volunteer. They're all volunteers. They're all volunteers. They put their hands up and said, I will go put my life on the line for my country. And they need to be appreciated more than they are today. And my book is my little effort to try to do that. Well, I want people to know where they can get the book. It is called Battle Scars. And where can they get it, Chip? They can get it in two places. They can get it on uh, casemate.com. That's C-A-S-E-M-A-T-E, casematepublishers.com. That's the publisher. And they can get it on Amazon. Um, and it's it's uh, it's first place in uh, number one in two categories on Amazon. I think it's Iraq biographies and some other Middle East category, but it's it's doing pretty well. And uh, I've, but most important to me, I've gotten unanimous uh, kudos from the guys I interviewed and wrote about. They really feel that I, I appreciate their service and have told their stories in a fair uh, way and, and treated them like the heroes that they are. Chip, I have to tell you, it is such a pleasure to speak with you now. I am not, as many people know, a big fan of the quote-unquote mainstream media. I'm a fan of, I'm a fan yeah, of I'm yours. I'm shocked. I'm so shocked. Yes. But yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I am a fan of yours, Chip. Well, thank and, you. Thank you. And, and I think that, and, and, and folks, you hear why. You hear who this journalist is. There are real journalists left in America, and Chip Reed is one of them. Well, he's retired now. Yeah, <laughs> thank God for that. And I, I am on. I am now an author, and I don't know what my book, next book's going to be. Maybe I'll write it about you. I haven't decided yet. So. <laughs> but you have to come back on the show, Chip. We serve because. I want to talk about your journalism experience. You were at two of the powerhouses, and you worked your way up from a producer. Yeah, and well, so, I, I did. I did a very young, starting level producer, and it's uh, yeah. I was I was scared half to death to be on camera in the beginning. It took me a long time. It was dreadful in the beginning. It was I was to, you know they point the camera in my direction and I'd start to shake and drool. It took me quite a while <laughs> to, uh, to get used to it. So. <laughs> Thank you so much. The book is Battle Scars. Chip, you have to come back with us. Absolutely adore talking with you. Thank you. Thank Chip you. Reed, ladies and gentlemen, you can find the book Battle Scars, you said. You can find this book. It is, and especially, I'm going to get a copy of this book because I happen to know a young soldier who is suffering. And maybe this will be an impetus for something to happen. So I want to get my own copy of the book. It's Battle Scars. Chip Reed. WABC, it is Veterans Day. We are coming back on WABC with the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Coming up in the next hour, of course, Princess Di. And also coming up in the next hour, America's small caffeinated mom, Rhonda Schrock. So, and your calls. Rolling Stones take us in. Don't go anywhere. 
radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Welcome back to the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. You never left. You know, I, I have been a fan of the Jackson 5 since I Want You Back first came out. I have been a fan of Michael Jackson his entire career. Of all of the Michael Jackson songs, and there are many that I absolutely love, both with the Jacksons, with the Jackson 5, and then his solo career of all of the songs. This one is my absolute favorite Michael Jackson song. Yeah. This whole record has like amazing production. We know that. But something about this track, there's just so much clarity and space. You could listen to it forever. To me, it never gets old, Nick. That's half Brit Nick. Amazing musician himself, from what I hear. But amazing musical knowledge for a kid. And he is a kid, half Brit Nick is a kid. By the way, he's single. And he's kind of got that, um, um, what, what's that guy that I keep saying he looks like a young Tom Selleck? Is that the guy, the mustache guy? We, had, we should put your picture up somewhere and have, like, you know, one of those auctions for charity. Have a date with half Brit Nick. I'll take Tom Selleck. I'll take Magnum P.I. any day. Yeah, you're the young Magnum P.I. Let's head back to the telephones on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Let's go to uh, Bruce in Westchester. Bruce, you've been waiting. Thank you. Appreciate your call. Good morning, James. It's always great when uh, I'm in New York and I listen to your show. Thank uh, you. You know, I, I have to say, you know, when I listen to Derek... He just reminds me of all the people that say Trump was great. Everything he did was great, but I I don't want to vote because he might do it again. He might be great again. It's the same people that say we're going to save the polar ice caps by heating up the ocean with solar farms. (laughs) We're We're going to save the trees by cutting down millions of trees for solar farms on land. And, of course, we're going to save the whales by killing the whales with the... Uh, with, the wind, with the windmills. Yeah. Windmills. And, and that's what he reminded me. As he spoke, he just, he just sounded like those guys that are just Democrats. And now, to Derek's credit, he did say that... Touch. Now, to Derek's credit, he did say that Trump has his vote. Trump's the nominee, he's going to vote for him, unlike some of them. But this issue that Trump should go on the debate stage, why? Why should he? He has everything to lose and nothing to gain. If he has a bad night, then all of a sudden, you know, the press and everybody else is going to pound on him for the rest of eternity. If he has a, 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 and and by the way, and not everybody has a great performance every time that they go on a debate stage. There are so many variables involved. He has nothing to gain by getting on that stage with the other candidates, and he has, he has things to lose. I think it's a smart strategy. Bruce, love your call. 
Let us go to Tom in Woodbridge. Tom, no books. You're not promoting any books or anything else. Tom, what is on your mind? Well, I want to reinforce the point that uh, is lost on a lot of American conservatives, and that is that the police and law enforcement agencies exist to protect and serve the politicians. Now, two examples that come from the media. Number one, the -the over-the-top paramilitary uh, search for uh, the gentleman from New Jersey who was at the January 6th protest. I mean, you had taxpayer money, taxpayers, footing the bill for this massive SWAT-style search for a guy who's guilty of little more than a misdemeanor, uh, all the taxpayers' expense, and the -the over-the-top reaction against this one single uh, January 6th protester. That's number one. I mean, look at the spectacle behind that uh, case. And number two, you mentioned something that just occurred in the subways uh, with regard uh, to a roving homeless lunatic uh, who was uh, menacing a woman on the subway unless she get demanded uh, that she give him uh, her money or unless she was going to take his uh, take her bag. Uh, and again, you had to have uh, an ordinary citizen uh, take a firearm and uh, produce a firearm, fire a couple shots in the air, and just tell him to leave her the hell alone. Otherwise, you know, like you said, God knows what else would have happened. Now, I mean, first responders. Key key word in that term is respond. These assholes only show up after something language, happens. Language. Okay, sorry. Okay. They only show up after something happens. And again, by the time someone shot, stabbed, robbed, raped, it's too late. Now, while the government wants to pour billions of dollars into so-called law enforcement, and they want that simultaneously, they want to take away your right to the Second Amendment, to, to, the, the right to self-defense. Tom, we have to stop there only because of time. Let me say something to you. You make sense to me this morning. The things that you were saying, and I'm going to tell you something. I had Nick Searcy on. He has that He's starring in that movie, Police State, about the whole January 6th reaction. Um, and so he had a very, very, we had a very interesting segment with him. Anyway, got to run. I was coming to a close. New hour begins. Our trio hour. The third hour of the Saturday morning radio extravaganza. We're going to check in with James Flippin and WABC News. And then we'll be back. Princess Di. America and America's small caffeinated mom in the next hour as well as your telephone call. So keep it right here. And do not go away. Welcome, my friends, to our number trio. Our third hour this morning of the Saturday morning radio extravaganza on this Veterans Day. If you want to be part of the program, 800-848-WABC is the number to call, 800-848-9222. I am going through the stacks of news that I have, and they are literal mountains of news. So many stories that I did not get to this week. And I'm looking forward to the time with uh, with Princess Di. See, here's a headline I just came across. I should just do this one day. Just go through stacks and go through headlines of stuff I didn't do. BLM branch, co-founder election bombshell. Trump is the best candidate. Mark Fisher, former 
uh, co-founder of the uh, BLM, Lives Matter, in Rhode Island, openly supporting President Donald Trump's return in 2024, joined by others in the BLM movement. Fun story there. You won't see that on a lot of the, uh, the, the press. By the way, let me just do a quick clarification on something. The caller I said was making sense, Tom, um, in Woodbridge, and he was saying this guy in New Jersey was a misdemeanor. Well, you just heard James Flippin say that he was wanted for assault on a police officer. That is not a misdemeanor. And I think, and I've said this even with when Nick Searcy was on with us, Nick is uh, starring in Dinesh's uh, new movie, Police State, all about January 6th. And I said to Nick, I've always been under the impression that those people who assault police officers, those people who vandalize the Capitol, should be held to the strictest account possible. That is not a misdemeanor. Those people, but the ones that just went in the building and did nothing, the doors were opened for them. The ones who were just arrested, and Nick talked about this too. There have been people that arrested who were just on the grounds. They did nothing. Now, those are people, it is, it is insane what is happening to those people. I have to find the animal stories because I had some animal stories for the day. Maybe I'll find them by the end of the show. Maybe I won't. I know what one of the stories is. One of the stories is about the orcas. You know those Free Willy types? Remember Free Willy, beautiful orca? Well, all of a sudden, orcas. Now, orcas have been known as pretty vicious little whales when they're going after sharks. But... The orcas apparently are turning their sights to human beings. They are overturning boats. They are, yeah. And I wonder, uh, yeah, something prompted that is right. I think what happened is Free Willy got back out and he told the other orcas what happened at SeaWorld. Free Willy is like, look, I think these humans are cool. Look what these humans, <laughs> these humans had me locked up at SeaWorld like I was a January 6th pastor. And they wouldn't let me go till finally some little boy saved me. And now the orcas are mad. And they're like, oh, y'all mess with Willy? We're coming for you. So, my friends, who knows? The tides in the animal world may be changing. The story I thought was fascinating this week, I did also not get to. Surgeons in New York have announced the world's first eye transplant. The first ever whole eye transplant in a human being that was announced on Thursday. They did the surgery six months ago. It was performed during a partial face transplant. And the grafted eye has now shown improved signs of health, including well-functioning blood vessels and promising-looking retina, according to the surgical team at NYU Langone, Langone Health. The mere fact that we transplanted an eye is a huge step forward, something that for centuries 
has been thought about, but it's never been performed, said Dr. Eduardo Rodriguez, who led the team. Until now, doctors have only been able to transplant the cornea, the clear front layer of the eye. Now, the recipient of the eye transplant, Aaron James, is a 46-year-old military veteran from Arkansas. He lost his eye during a high-voltage electrical accident. It destroyed the left side of his face, his nose, his mouth, his left eye. You wouldn't know it looking at the guy today. Initially, doctors were just planning to include the eyeball as part of the face transplant for cosmetic reasons. Now, he currently still can't see out of the eye, but who knows? He's hopeful that maybe it will take some time, but maybe, maybe, just maybe, he might regain his eyesight. The doctors had never expected it to work at all, he says. They told him that from the get-go. He told them even if he can't see. Maybe at least you all can learn something to help the next person. That's how you get started. Hopefully this opens a new path. So he's quite brave. But, you know, who knows? Maybe this could happen. So good, good going to the doctors over at NYU. Great job. The first ever commercial plant that is open that has started pulling carbon from the air. Can't you tell that your air is more carbon-free? I, I, I can't wait. I'm going to get into more detail with this. I'm going to hold on to this because this <clears throat> deserves podcast. Spending all this money, we're going to take carbon out of the air. So hopefully, hopefully, And this is a Joe Biden, one of these green energy projects. Anyway, did you know that Russia is, you know, Russia has been giving arms to countries like Pakistan, Egypt, Belarus, and Brazil. Do you know that Russia is now asking these countries, hey, hey, guys, could you, can we have those, you know, those arms we sent you, can we have them back? We need them. (laughs) Apparently, things are not going as well as. (laughs) Apparently, they're having a difficult time, I guess, in Ukraine. And so they want to be. There was a term for this that I cannot use anymore because some people would say that it is uh, offensive. We had a term for that a person that would give you something and then ask for it back. But I'm not going to use the term because I like my job. Uh, let's say, <laughs> yeah, these days, back then we used to say all the time, you can't, can't do that. It's, it wasn't the Cowboys. I'll put it like that. Um, uh, CNN's Van Jones, hold on to your shorts with this one. CNN Van Jones is praising. He praised the Republican party for sticking up for Jewish kids on college campuses and the wave of the anti-Semitism that has spread like a wave through the entire leftist. By the way, stories on that today, I think it was one of the New York universities, Columbia, or someone has instituted new policies also at Brandeis. Some of these colleges are finally figuring out that this, this, this anti-Semitism that's on their campuses is hurting them and hurting them bad. Well, Van Jones has actually praised the Republican Party. Van Jones. 
I've always wanted to speak with Van Jones. I think we would have an interesting conversation. It would either go one of two ways. It would be a complete disaster of a conversation, or it would be a really good one. I like Van Jones. I know he's a commie, but I still like him. He's, he's like a likable commie to me. Um, okay, we're going to take a break early because I want to have as much time as possible to speak with the beloved Princess Diana. So we will turn to the Yardbirds, ladies and gentlemen, to take us into this set. And then when we come back, the lady we all wait for every week, Her Majesty, Princess Diana, will join us. Half Britnick. Of course, has special reverence from the for the princess, as we all do. It's a Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Keep it right here. Coming back. Don't go away. It's time for Radio Royalty with James Golden and America's Princess of Policy, Princess Di. She is indeed the princess of policy. She is her majesty, the one and only, the brilliant, (laughs) the witty, the charming, the royal, the highnessness of all highnessnessness. And that's a lot of uh, highnessness. (laughs) (laughs) Princess, Princess Die from on high, coming to hang out with the lowly peasant, Mr. Snurdly, Mr. Gildon, and half Brent Nick, and TJ, and the rest of our Saturday crew. Welcome, Princess Die. How are you? You are Sir James. You have been knighted by me, so you are not a lowly peasant. Okay, well... Thank you, Your Highness. I have to keep that in mind. You know, it's hard to shake it. Once you felt like the peasant, it's hard to realize you've been elevated and got promoted. Uh, <laughs> exactly right. Don't forget it. I won't. Your Majesty, The uh, let's start with what uh, what you, you, you sent me here. The New York Times, I hadn't even read this story. I'm, I'm curious to hear what this is about. You tell me that the New York Times is, is, <laughs> is saying that the Joe Biden economy is what? W.T. what? W.T. what? Okay. This is New York Times news analysis. This is how they labeled it. The title is Morning in America Eludes Biden Despite Economic Gains. And here's the subtitle. Seeking re-election in 1984, Ronald Reagan presided over an economy similar in many ways to today's, but he sold a message of progress and promise. And the thesis of this article, which I laughed all the way through, and I hope that your readers will take a look at it, it is full of humor. The thesis, not intentional, the thesis is that the Biden economy is so good and it's equal to the Reagan economy at this stage in his presidency. 
And the only reason Biden isn't getting credit for it is he hasn't sold his message, the morning in America message that Ronald Reagan went out and fooled the people into believing and feeling good about the economy. And so the economy today is just the same. Bidenomics is equal to Reaganomics, but people don't feel that way. And so Biden has to start message improvement and and doing morning in America and convincing people and that will get people on board. <laughs> Have these people lost their minds? Do they <laughs> do, Diana? Do you remember a princess. month ago Paul Strogman mm-hmm. said the economy is surreally good. And so this is what they all believe in Washington. They actually believe it because none of them live in the real world. You know, they have people they hire to do their grocery shopping and fill their, if they have cars, they use mass transit because they're good, you know, environmentalists. But this to me is another example of young whippersnappers who did not live through the events of the Jimmy Carter years and the Reagan economy themselves. They've only read about the 1980s as being a complete disaster because that's what the press has worked hard. As you know, our boss, Rush, kept defending the 1980s because they were a remarkable demonstration of what American freedom does, and that is bring prosperity to everyone. And the New York Times and all of those like-minded pundits spend uh, many decades tearing down the 80s and lying about it, and they're still doing it. By saying the Reagan economy was like this, it's, uh, you know, we remember gas lines. We remember the double-digit inflation and unemployment and the double-digit mortgage rates, which were up in the 20s. And so when that started to recede because the Reagan tax cut came in and gave everybody more money, then the whole economy felt better, not because Reagan said anything, although he was a cheerleader, but because people lived it. And that is the one problem they have with the Biden Bidenomics, is that people actually live in the economy. They shop, they buy things, they fill their tanks with gas, and they know that this is all bogus, this idea that the Bidenomics is successful. But the good news is they're going to keep doubling down, and that is what Biden is running on, is his economic plan. So it is destined to fail. So I'm happy about it. I am just stunned, too, because I also remember the year, the Reagan years, and I'm sure you remember this. I remember these same types of liberals. I remember them, Princess Di, yep. walking around complaining that this is the age of opulence. The rich people, there's so yep. many rich people, greedy. and the rich people are greedy, right? They're yep. greedy, and 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 how dare them show their wealth by buying these houses and buying these cars and and living well when the poor are still poor and the rich and that's when you started hearing this the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer which was absolute rot gut nonsense because what happened right. was that the middle class people were getting richer and people that were poorer we're getting middle class and turning into, in some cases, yep. richer people. And the poor are poor. The ones that did, yep. and, and I'm not trying to blame them. There are lots of reasons that people stay in poverty. 
But a lot of the reason that people stay in poverty is because if you depend on the government for your economic uh, 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 status in life, well, then the government's not going to make you rich. At least that was before COVID days. Well, wait a minute. Here's another thing that's never acknowledged. And I remember this, you know, reading in the New York that the same people at the end of the 80s were not the same people in the beginning of the 80s in poverty classes. It was divided into five quintiles. And the American economy is so dynamic that people who started the 80s in the lowest quintile, a huge percentage of them moved up even to the top. And some went down again because the economy, based on freedom, at the time, it was merit-based more than it is now. But if you succeeded by your hard work, you were rewarded. And so that is the thing that the left has never acknowledged, how dynamic this economy can be when we are free. That's right. Now, we also have a throwback to, the, uh, to something that happened in New York. I remember this very vividly, Princess Dorna, because we were all here at that little studio at Two Pin Plaza when yep. when Rush sent Tony Lobianco yep. out <laughs> with the Kool-Aid when the Democrats were coming to town for their convention. And ahead of the Democrat convention that year, uh, there was an effort underway by the then, uh, uh, what was he used to call him? Um, General David Dinkins. That's what Rush used to call David Dinkins. And to the tune of F, F Troop, General David Dinkins, there was a massive pre-sweep before the Democrats came to town. And now, apparently, they got word out in, 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 in another big American city that, yes, yes, we've got visitors coming to town. Let's do what David did. And what did David do, Princess Doy? Well, demonstrated, as San Francisco is demonstrating, that Democrats can clean up a city when they want to. And it is, I was going to bring up that same memory of, it was for the uh, New York uh, Democrat Convention. In what year was that, 92? That was the Clinton. That was the one where they, they installed Clinton, wasn't it? It was back then, at one time, there was a big Democrat confab, and the homeless were nowhere to be found. And the same thing has happened in San Francisco. They are having, um, as starting today, in fact, APEC, which is the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit. And 21 countries are coming to San Francisco. And amazingly, the homeless are gone. The the poop in the streets are gone. The drug dens on the streets are gone. Crime is gone. Because guess who is the uh, honored guest of this APEC? And that is President Xi Jinping. Oh, wait a minute. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Coming to San Francisco. Go ahead. Wait a minute. You mean the commie dictator Xi Jinping is on his way to San Francisco? Wednesday, yes. So the Chai Con. I, 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 I have another question. I, 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 I have another question. Go ahead. Go ahead. Is he is he buying it? Is he is he, he going to buy San Francisco? They're buying everything else. Is he is he coming with an offer to? Is that why they cleaned it up so he can buy San Francisco for the commies? 
Well, he's returning the visit. As you know, your friend, Gavin Newsom, went two weeks ago to... Um, he's uh, not gone. my friend! Yes, so, yes, yes. And so he uh, is returning the favor, and he is meeting Biden as kind of a sideshow meeting. Biden is going over to San Francisco. But... In the in the run up to this, the the Chinese press has been calling San Francisco a ruined city and hell and a garbage city. <laughs> so I think that this embarrassed Kevin. <laughs> is working very hard to roll out the red carpet the same way that Xi Jinping rolled out the red carpet for Gavin Newsom two weeks ago. So this is really, I think, it's being touted as a Biden-Xi Jinping meeting, but it's really a Gavin uh, triumph to have the president of China arrive there. So this, to me, tells you that the Chi-Coms trump the homeless industrial complex in American cities. Whoa! Whoa, great. Oh, you ought to write that. that that's the headline for a great editorial. It really is. It's the truth. It's the truth. Because for regular citizens or for regular tourists who want to have an experience that's positive, taxpayers who live there, they cannot be bothered. And they have open, open drug dens. They have homeless tents everywhere as you know poop there are maps where you have to avoid the poop they have a right poop. right so so this is a a disgusting place it's the worst in the u.s one of the worst and they're the people who are now cleaning it up they're putting all kinds of police presence on the street there's going to be law and order for the premier the chai com president of china but not for the american taxpayer diana you have to write this this is and i love that title the homeless what did you call it the homeless comp the homeless homeless industrial complex the homeless industrial complex you have to do this this is great okay I, before we before we get off i've been saying since i've been watching with delight that the the, the democrats have their undies in a wad because Manchin has said he's not running again and I've been laughing myself silly at the headlines and the stories. This is the Democrats' worst nightmare come true. This is, oh, no, this is fear sets in. Joe Manchin. <laughs> well, well, there's a lot to this. And as I always say, and you make fun of me, there's circles within circles. But I think a lot of this is fake. I think that Romney and Manchin have been ginning up this kind of third way, no labels kind of run to draw away independent votes from Trump. They are doing what's called, in my opinion, a splitter strategy. They're throwing up all kinds of uh, various uh, potential candidates to take away. I mean, you've got Cornell West, you've got uh, RFK Jr. You have a bunch of people who would be, you know, attract independent voters. And I think Manchin is one of them. I think this is deliberate. I don't think that they're at all afraid. I think that that Manchin is doing exactly what the Democrat Party wants. Hmm. The Democrats are, 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 are genuinely fearful that they're going to lose the Senate. They stick. Oh, first of all, I mean, they're all Democrats anyway. Okay. You, you know, 
I am not going to invest one iota of energy into the numbers of who has the quote unquote majority as long as Mitch McConnell is in charge of the Republican caucus. So it won't matter to me if you have one or two change of party, quote unquote, because the policies will be the same. The, the outcome will be the same. So I do not think they're at all afraid. They know exactly what the Senate is made out of. And I think that the, a lot of these, you know, bubbling up independent uh, nominees and possible candidacies are to draw the independents away from Trump because that's his strength. Okay, finally, I have to ask you this question. I had a heated debate with King Slither um, <laughs> in the first hour. <laughs> yes. I heard it. <laughs> okay. Do you think that Donald Trump should go on the debate stage? He's robbing the American people. He's We are preaching to the choir. He's going to attract new independent voters because, of course, they've never heard of Donald Trump and they don't have their mind made up either on Trump. They, they, do you see any possible win for Donald <laughs> Trump going on that debate stage with these other candidates? No, absolutely not. And besides, it's not a question. I mean, everyone feels they have to weigh in on this. Trump is the only one whose opinion matters, and he decided it wasn't worth it. He had to be beat up by all kinds of little, you know, munchkins who are not even close within 40 points of him. There is no percentage in it, and they're all going to gang up. You're going to have Chris Christie, you know, you know, doing his horribleness. And the, in my opinion, one of the reasons that Pence was in the race for so long was that donors wanted to see him beat up on Trump on January 6th on the debate stage. And that never happened. I think that was a trap sent, set by the establishment. And I think Trump has successfully and smartly avoided it. Well, well, well. Princess Di, as always, a plethora. No, that's the wrong word. And I have to be careful when I use words with you because of the synobulence or, yeah, whatever it is. Whether <laughs> it works, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people don't understand. Let me just tell you that inside thing. The first time I met Princess Di, the very first day I met Princess Di, I was a young, I was a, I was, back then I was a stud kind of guy. I was a young, I was skinny, had hair. I was a good looking, if I say so myself, young guy. Here comes this yes. beautiful woman in, and oh, I'm going to impress this woman. Oh my God, she's coming in. Uh, she, she's, I'm like, damn, she's fine. Let me go try to talk to her. Okay. So I go to try to talk to Diana, and I'm just talking my usual stuff. And Diana hits me and says, well, you know, the subnobulence of the blah, 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 blah. And I'm looking at her like, what the f uh <laughs> And, and by the end of the conversation, by the end of this first conversation with her, she's writing down words to me. Here, you should probably go look up this word so that we can have a real conversation. And so, and I kept it. She wrote it on a she wrote it on a sticky, and she wrote the word somnambulance. Go look this word up. And and okay, it's somnambulance. Okay, just so you well, know, somnambulance. A subnambulance, subnambulance. I still don't know what it means. <laughs> I hear uh -huh. sleepwalking. Okay, so listen, I remember you were arguing with Rush 
the, you know, through the IFB and disagreeing with him. That was my first. This was when we were on an advertising break. And that was my first observation of you. It was like, you said, oh, that's where I depart from, you conservatives. And so in my opinion, I was like, ooh, this guy doesn't think he's a conservative. Now you do, I think. Oh, that, that you see, that was the early days. And that's when I did not know that I was a conservative. And that's when, and, and those, those discussions with Rush and, and listening to Rush, it was, it didn't take long. I was like, OMG, I'm one of them. I am a conservative. <laughs> so you remember some ambulance and I remember you're not a conservative. So I'm glad that we both have moved on. <laughs> Thank you. Princess Di on WABC coming back on Saturday morning. Extravaganza continues with your calls and later America's small caffeinated mom. Thank you, Princess Di. Appreciate you. Love you. you. Sir James. Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Yeah, this is that troubled young lady. But I'll tell you what, this was a slamming. I love this song. Britney, um, yeah, this the age of Britney. Britney Spears. It still sounds so good. On this Veterans Day, let's get to the telephones on WABC. Gail in Staten Island, how are you? morning, James. I would just like to take this time to thank all the veterans, past and present, my loved ones included, uh, giving me an education and pride and to allow the freedoms of today not to block the streets. I don't think it was meant for anarchy and, <clears throat> excuse me, anti-Semitism. It really hurts my heart, but then it makes me angry. You know, and also you were just talking about San Francisco um, and the big cleanup. You know, it makes me remember. It's almost like um, racism because years ago, a great show I was brought up. I was a TV little girl in the 50s, and my parents would sit me in front with a tray table, and we would watch Amos and Andy, and we looked at it as entertainment. So now uh, they used to have things where they would sell uh, invisible glass or try to sell a home, and it was really only a big cardboard picture. But today they go around and clean up when people are coming to see the city and the tragedies that go on in this country. And also, many years ago, uh, I was young, but my parents had friends that were in uh, Vietnam, and they took me to an army hospital. We went through wards and wards of 
young men. It was just a terrible time, and that's how I feel. I thought I would just express myself to you. Thank you, Gail. I do so appreciate your call. I kind of had a different take on Amos and Andy. I, I, when I saw it, it was already off of, uh, off of the regular schedule for TV. And at the time, I was appalled. But then again, you know, people are different, look at things different ways. Uh, but thank you for the call. I so appreciate it. Thank you. Margaret in New York, you are up next, and thank you for waiting, Margaret. Thank you, uh, James. Good morning. I first would like to thank all the veterans on this Veterans Day for their service to our country, especially to the Vietnam veterans who put their lives down laid their lives down on the line and came back and their um, fellow countrymen did not support them. But anyway, um, there is a non-drug related way to uh, deal with EMDR. I'm with um, PTSD and it's called EMDR. Um, I don't know what that means. I looked it up and I can't find it now. But anyway, um, it's, it's a, it's, there's a ther- therapist who are trained in this process of EMDR. It's based on eye movement. And what they do is they have you, a way for you to follow, like their finger or a moving light. There's a, a, some therapists have a set of moving lights that you follow. It's rapid eye movement. And they oh. ask <clears throat> questions. They ask you questions to narrow down what, what the situation is for that day. And then they, you, you follow um, the same well, here's you the follow thing. the movement of life. Margaret, we'll have to look into that because there are some other people. There's another group down in uh, Tampa, Florida, that I happen to know about because a friend of mine did uh, a, a big gala with them. And they also have a different kind of way that they're helping veterans get past the uh, prom- uh, uh, post-traumatic stress. So uh, thank you for that, and it's so worth looking into. I do appreciate that. Thank you, Margaret. Let's go to Rick in Elmwood Park. Hi, Rick. You're on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Indian giver was the words you were looking for. Stop it. I didn't want to say it. I, and then, again, yeah, I didn't want to say it. Let's move on. Okay, it's offensive to, to some people. Move on. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. I thought you wanted to hear it. Um, no. I want to thank the vets, and I want to thank you and Rudy and Greg and Rita Cosby, all you guys do for the vets. It's really important to us. Thank you, Rick. I so appreciate you. Vets are important to America. Without the veterans, there would be no America. We all owe you vets, every vet, past, present, future, debts of gratitude. Thank you so much. Quickly, we got to head to a break. Coming back, America's small caffeinated mom. Haven't heard from her in quite some time. Looking forward to it. More of your calls if we have a chance. Keep it right here. 800-848-WABC. Be back in a moment. This is the Saturday Morning Radio Extravaganza. Now, here's James Golden, a.k.a. Bo Snurdly, on 77 WABC. Stones, bring us back. 
on our Saturday morning radio extravaganza here on WABC. It is Veterans Day 2023. With us now, America's small caffeinated mom and the one and the only Rhonda Schrock. Rhonda, welcome back. Haven't heard from you in a while. Good morning, James. I really missed uh, talking to you, talking to our listeners. Um, as you know, our our caboose, the caboose on the end of our crazy train is our 17-year-old son, and he's a cross-country runner, so every Saturday morning found us on a different cross-country course somewhere cheering for that kid and his team. So I was away uh, doing a mom thing. <laughs> but it's, it's a wonderful thing. <laughs> yes, yes I it's love, just a wonderful thing. So what is so your much. essay for this, our Veterans Day? Well, I think it's really appropriate. Um, I call, I titled it The Case for Courage. Um, courage is never very far from my mind, especially in these days. And it was a monologue that you uh, gave, maybe it was a couple weeks ago. It was right after Speaker Johnson was installed, and you delivered a heartfelt uh, speech about the condition of the country, how we how we got to where we are right now with all the troubling things that we're seeing. And then, of course, uh, you talked about the accusations that quickly followed his installation. You know, the worst things that the press could think to say about him were that he was that he was a Christian nationalist and of all God awful things, he's white. So I, I thought about that just because of who he is. He's white. He's a Christian. He's a, a patriot. He was being attacked. Uh, Then I looked at what was happening in Israel, tiny little Israel on that little bitty scrap of land just being brutally attacked by Hamas. And what was their crime? Being Jews. Then came uh, the leak, uh, the manifesto leak from the Nashville shooter. And I thought, what was their crime? They were white. They were Christian. They were privileged. And so they deserved a day of death. I mean, that's the tip of the iceberg. There are so many people of other colors, other ethnicities, other religions that are targeted uh, for hateful uh, in hateful attacks just for being who and what they are. And so I kept thinking about this thing of courage. Now, I'm a words girl, James, and I like to know what words mean. So I looked it up and I found a definition that just bolstered my own heart when I read it. And I just want to share it with you. It's the state or quality of mind or spirit that enables one to face danger, fear, or vicissitudes with self-possession, confidence, and resolution. I love that. So once I know what something means, I want to know how it works. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about courage, and I decided courage is not actually the absence of fear. It's something greater. It's founded on something much greater than that. I believe that the foundation of all true courage is love, and that is love of two important things. It's the love of truth and love for other people. And when you have love for truth and a love for other people that is just enough greater than any fear that you have, you will have courage to stand up, make a difference, and that kind of courage inspires others. I think it's contagious. Every day when I drive past or drive to work, I drive past a small historic cemetery in our tiny little town where the flags fly on Main Street. And I was thinking about that cemetery as I was riding, and I thought, on every headstone, there are four things 
There's a name, two dates, and a dash. And it was that dash that stuck in my mind because that dash is all the things that we do, the way we spend our lives, how we live those years in between those two dates. And I thought, how do I want to live my years? How do I want to use my dash? Do I want to be ruled by fear? And I could be. Or do I want to be ruled by love? Because that love is the most powerful force in the world. No bombs or bullets or hate-filled um, attackers can ever actually take our love away. And love doesn't mean we don't stand up to evil. Love means we do stand up to evil. And we have the why. When you have the why in place, you can accomplish more than you ever thought that you could. And that is courage. So I would like to know if you have uh, uh, people that come to mind, who are some people that have inspired you to courage? Uh, for me, Dr. Arn at Hillsdale College, he's the president of Hillsdale. I have heard him say in numerous speeches how he and the board chose to stand up to the draconian government in Michigan who were instituting all these unconstitutional policies during the pandemic. They chose to stand up to them. And he said on more than one occasion, it's possible that the police will roll up and arrest me. But because he knew and the board knew it was the right thing to do and they love the truth and they love the students and the people at Hillsdale, they chose to stand up to it. And guess who blinked? It wasn't the college. That's my current example of courage. Well, when you talk about <clears throat> when you talk about courage, there are so many people that come to mind for me. Um, first of all, my dad, my mom, because they showed unbelievable courage just going through what they went through in their lives. And then you talk about, uh, uh, but I work with Rush Limbaugh. You talk about courage. You know, you talk about courage, standing up to an entire hostile media and a hostile political establishment that wants to ruin your life and wreck your career at every turn, and yet you still are able to, well, you got paid for that. To pay, hey, you can be rich, and that doesn't mean anything. If you are uh, 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 under constant siege and constant attack, and your very existence is always questioned, but yet you still have the courage to go on and say what you believe, fearless of knowing what people can do for you. And there are so many examples in life. There are so many of, of our listeners who every day uh, are acting encouraged by just standing up for what they believe and being unafraid in the face of a lot of hostility, in the face of a lot of anger, to stand proud for what they believe. So this courage is, it, it is something that, and, and, and you're right, it is born from this, this, the courage we're talking about is a courage that's born for love. And of course, on Veterans Day, here we are. And you yeah. think about courage and you talk about courage and you look at all these kids, kids that went off and in some cases never came home fighting on behalf of people that never would they meet. But mm. they did it because they loved the idea of America. They loved the idea of freedom. Or in some cases, they were fighting for their family and fighting for their friends and fighting for themselves. And you talk about courage, the things that they faced. I see these movies from every single war theater that there is, but you can go back throughout American history and look at what took place in 
the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, the Revolutionary War. They, these people didn't, no one gave them a chance. They thought they, they were fighting up against the mightiest army at the time in the world, the military force in the world. You look at the Civil War. And then you look at the courage that it took for Lincoln to come after that civil war and just say, now we want to restore peace with our brothers. No malice to none. And he spoke that from a position of this love for the union that he hoped would endure. And then you, you, you go back and you look through what we were up against in World War II, especially when it was not for certain that the allied powers would win and what they were up against with this evil onslaught from the Axis powers. There is courage in so many, so many aspects of our lives and our history. You know, James, we have to acknowledge the courage of their loved ones who sent them off. I mean, as the mother of sons, knowing that that could be my boys one day, I, I have to acknowledge and I want to acknowledge the tremendous courage that it must require of families who give their blessing and stand strong in support and pray every day for their safety and their protection and for their return home. We cannot let Veterans Day go by without acknowledging those courageous people. Absolutely. And I mean, I think everybody's remembered, and the family, was it the Sullivan family, where it was... It was the world. There were two incidents of this. One happened in World War Two. The other happened during the Civil War, where an entire family of young boys was wiped out oh. during those wars. And it was President Lincoln had to face it. And again, I think this was also that's what the whole Saving Private Ryan was about, because in, yeah. and this was from real events, which which only one son left after all the sons that went in mm. sacrifice. Okay. And so it, it is. Uh, it is a tremendous thing that that people are able to have that kind of courage, mm. and to uh, and hopefully it will inspire us as we as we get through these difficult times. We need each other. We do. We can borrow and loan courage, and when ours is strong, we can share it by being brave. And when ours is weak, we can look to those who are brave, and it will strengthen our own hearts. And so it's important for each one of us to be using that dash. And as long as we're alive, we can practice new things. If we've been fearful and we've been cowering, we can practice bravery and courage and love. And so stay strong, my friend. You too are displaying courage just in doing what you do, being who you are. And I appreciate that. And I'm sure that I'm speaking for so many who are listening right now. Thank you, James. Thank you, Rhonda. America's small caffeinated mom. Where can we find your essay, Rhonda? Uh, the Case for Courage is on the dailybs.com this morning. What a pleasure. Thank you. Ron, appreciate you so much. And ladies and gentlemen, we have time for maybe one or two quick calls before we have to leave you with our Saturday morning radio extravaganza. Rocco, make it quick. You've been holding. Thank you. Appreciate you. Rocco once. Rocco twice. Let's move on. Kathy in Brooklyn, New York. You are up next. Kathy, what's on your mind? I'm not hearing anything coming back from the phones. So I assume that we have some sort of technical issue, and we will have that kind of resolved by the next show. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> let, me, let me just do this. 
since it is Veterans Day, let me mention one more time. You can support your veterans and their families this Veterans Day by donating to the Tunnel to Towers Foundation. All you have to do, go to wabcradio.com slash T2T to donate. You can also support the Lee Greenwood Concert Experience. That's tomorrow. Send a veteran and their guest to see Lee Greenwood's All-Star Concert. For that website, adopt a veteran, adopt a vet, adoptavet.com. Well, that's it for me. May God bless and protect each and every single one of you, your family, your loved ones, especially in these difficult times. Love and gratitude for your being here with me and allowing me to be with you. We, by God's grace, will return on Monday for Bo Snerly's Rush Hour. See you then. Bye.